Next Chapter Podcasts. Hey y'all, I'm Otis Pickett, the university historian at Clemson University and a man of faith based here in Clemson, South Carolina. Welcome to Purpose That Prevails, a podcast about faith, religion, and walking a faith-based life. On the show, we're going to be joined by both believers and scholars, leaders in the fields of education, history, and religion. My hope is that you find these conversations inspiring, and maybe you and I will even learn a thing or two along the way. Before I introduce my guest for this week's episode, I'd ask that you subscribe, rate, and even review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you've stumbled upon the show. Please also tell your friends, family, and pastors about it as we'd love to get support and get the word out. Okay, now to my guest for this week. My guests today are Howard and Kelly Brown. Howard and Kelly have been engaged in multicultural church planning for more than 20 years and bring a wealth of knowledge about the growth of multi-ethnic experiences in the Christian church and how white Christians have grown to support and join forces with African-American communities nationwide. Howard is a descendant of the historic Gullah people of South Carolina in the Sea Islands and grew up in an AME church in Charleston, South Carolina. Howard holds a Master's of Divinity from Covenant Theological Seminary. He currently serves as the senior pastor at Christ Central Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Howard also advised residents of Charlotte during riots of 2016, and he and I have worked for years in racial healing, including our work as contributors to the book, Heal Us Emmanuel a call for racial reconciliation, representation, and unity in the church. Kelly is also a pioneer in church planning and has been influential in the PCA's growth and diversity in the last 25 years. Kelly holds a degree from Valdosta State University in Georgia, and she works with the PCA's Mission to North America, where she serves as the Operations Director of African American Ministries. Kelly also serves as a women's shepherd and has led music ministry at Christ Central Church for many years. Please welcome Howard and Kelly Brown to Purpose That Prevails. Hey, welcome to Purpose That Prevails with Otis Pickett. I'm here with Howard and Kelly Brown. Um, This is truly a a family conversation today. I've got some dear friends here. We've known each other a long time. We've been doing work together in the church for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so, so thankful and honored uh, to have both Howard and Kelly Brown on the podcast. How are y'all doing today? Yay. Doing great. Hey, Otis. It's great to see you. Thank you for having us. It's so great to see y'all. We like to start just kind of, you know, we're scholars, we're practitioners, we're people in leadership in the church, but we're just, we're just human beings made in God's image who are trying to live life and just enjoy life and do what God has made us to do. But we're, we are interested in other things than ministry and history. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So what That's are some right. things y'all like to do as a couple or as individuals that just fun things that you like to do to help our audience get to know you a little bit? Mm, as a couple, <laughs> we like to eat. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, man. We like to go and 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 research restaurants that are kind of, you know, the it place to be, the popping place to be. and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go and eat and talk about the food and critique it and the vibe and <laughs> the aesthetic and the people. We should have our own podcast just reviewing restaurants and, and spots. So, so we're like a like. lot of Americans. We, we, we have completely fallen into the food network foodie trap. We mm-hmm. do. 
we like going and checking new things out and mm-hmm. feeling like we we get it. But Kelly is a superior cook. Um, and so when she goes, she really does know what she's talking about and what mm-hmm. she's tasting. And mm. so I like going just to watch her go mm. um, and, and hear what she has to say about it. Right? Then I'm like, oh, yeah, this is good. Mm. Um, it seems better tasting mm. what she tasted and explains what's going on. Mm. And she does the same thing with movies because she has a movies. Has do, a, yeah. You have a film and theater background. Mm-hmm. and it's it's good to go to the movies with her once again she just makes it better in that yeah. way for me Aww. but as you can tell from her background we do like uh you know comic movies the marvel and the dc mm-hmm. we like action movies mm-hmm. you know i'm not married it, we're not split in marriage between somebody likes romantic comedies and somebody likes action mm-hmm. um, y'all both we, like it we both like action mm-hmm. and, and i like sci-fi me too and I'll watch it if it's He accurate. tolerates sci-fi. Hmm. If it's too cerebral, I can't do it. Okay. But, um, he likes action sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, he's got to have something going on in something there. Going on, something going not on, just, not just contemplating the, the futuristic world right. I'm in right now. So, Howard, you grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, the beautiful yes, holy did. city in the low country of South Carolina where we both hail from. That's and you right. were about to go down there again, you said, this weekend. Yeah, I'm going to go see my dad going down to what I would accurately describe as the cultural mecca of the South. Mm-hmm. And um, Insert eye roll. <laughs> see, Kelly, Charlestonians believe uh-huh. that the Ashley and the Cooper River came uh-huh. together and created the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> wow. Man, that's the first time I heard oh, that, that anecdote, and it makes sense to me. <laughs> So, but you know, my dad Uh, is down there. He's a local historian. mm -hmm. He runs Galatours of Charleston. What's his name? Alfonso Brown. Mm -hmm. And what is interesting about Charleston being a cultural mecca is it served as the Ellis Island Mm -hmm. for a lot of Africans that came over to this country as slaves. Mm -hmm. It's where many of us came, quarantined, and then came onto the mainland. Um, here and then again in Virginia were two of the biggest ports, slave ports on the East Coast. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of culture that developed that's uh, very important and special to me Yeah, uh, in my family. So, Kelly, y'all do this amazing podcast between the pews, right, in mm-hmm. the Presbyterian Church in America, uh, which is kind of this beautiful uh, picture of after church everyone's leaning against the pews kind of the kids are running around and mm-hmm. these deep conversations we sort of mm-hmm. have about life in the church can you tell us a little bit about that yeah so we started uh i work for african american ministries aam which is an agency of mna mission to north america which is the north american branch of the pca presbyterian church in america so Lots of alphabet soup there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started a podcast about two and a half years ago. We're in season three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the primary focus, well, we started just trying to tell the story of Black folks in our denomination, which is largely predominantly, overwhelmingly predominantly white. And so our Black members often feel disconnected. They don't realize that there are so many other black people, and they also don't realize how much they have in common with 
with um, the story of their faith and their highs and lows and being in the PCA. And so we just look for people who were kind of not the the superstars, the names that everybody knows mm. in the denomination, literally the, the person sitting in the pew. Since our first season, though, we've sort of developed a, a little bit of an arm talking about more topical things. Mm-hmm. And so we have um, at the end of our first season, we decided to talk about kind of the the elephant in the room, which is why is, is the PCA a place for black folks? Hmm. Uh, which was the first episode kind of as a bonus to episode uh, to the first season. And then we followed that up with why do we stay? Because at the time there was a big movement in reformed evangelical and or PCA churches where black people were really leaving those churches. I think the hashtag was leave quiet or leave something. I can't remember. But anyway, we wanted to address why it was also okay to stay. Hmm. So we did a couple bonus episodes on our experiences in the PCA, the staff's experience. And then since then, we've done some other topical um, things, talking about HBCU campus ministries, talking Hmm. about uh, a church plant that we're starting, Howard and I here in Atlanta, and some different things, but largely just to connect people um, in the casual familiarness of after church uh, talking, you know, yeah. between the pew. That's beautiful. So even our audience, if they're looking to try to understand, man, what would the African American experience look like and feel like right. in an overwhelmingly white denomination? This would be an amazing place to go sure and sort would. of get in on that conversation. You may not always be privy to getting Absolutely. to hear how folks are thinking and what what they're experiencing. Absolutely. It That's awesome. Would. So in our podcast, we always like to start with testimony time. We want our audience to know both who you are personally, but also your faith journey. And so I wondered if y'all could just tell us a little bit about I know, Howard, you grew up in the faith and, and, you know, Kelly, your amazing conversion story in Georgia and just all the things that mm-hmm. y'all have experienced. Could you tell us a little bit about your faith journeys up to your, your marriage? Yeah, I was raised in the AME church. Um, and uh, I guess when I was in about third grade, my mom had a conversion, a born again conversion experience. And that really affected me. So in about about eighth grade, even though I grew up in the church, I prayed the born again prayer, the mm-hmm. wrong road prayer, um, to receive the Lord. My mom led me in that, and I would say thus began like my active spiritual faith journey. And I continued to go to the AME church, but also did a lot of moonlighting in other churches. Mm-hmm. Um, many in which my mom who did a lot of church hopping, was a part of a lot of church plants, a lot of new starting stuff. And I really enjoyed that for some reason. I liked the grassroots <laughs> feel hmm. of startups and doing something new and watching hmm. God uh, bring people to himself and bring parts of the city to himself that weren't affected hmm. beforehand. Mm-hmm. And... um you know, I went to Clemson, got involved with Reform University Fellowship, and that was my initial connection to the PCA, though it was not my initial introduction to Reformed mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. theology. That came from Pastor Dallas Wilson 
at uh, Agape Inner City Christian Assembly. So mm-hmm. African American is the one who led me into you know that kind of theological thinking and framework. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I connected it with RUF when I was at Clemson, got involved, went to Covenant Seminary because the campus minister at Clemson, David Sinclair, was a Covenant grad. So some guys and, and women uh, went out there to see the seminary. I liked it, went there. I was still AME officially, but it was at Covenant Seminary. After spending time doing an internship at Redemption Fellowship, and we can tell you some background in that a little later, but um, it was a PCA church planted by Perimeter Church, um, and I did an internship there, and that's when I officially said, hey, I want to do this. And uh, my roommate at Covenant, Anthony Bradley, and I sat down at the table, and we said, yeah, we're African-American. This is going to be tough, but let's face it, we're Presbyterian. Mm. Theologically and polity-wise, we agree, even though culturally we know we're going to have a hard time. Mm. But let's just go ahead and take the leap. And when we were at Covenant, we decided let's go to as much of a bell curve PCA church as we can. Mm. We went to two different churches so people wouldn't confuse us. Because that (laughs) happens in in white circles. Mm -hmm. Even when we don't look alike, we look alike some people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what we did. And when I graduated Covenant, um, I was ordained in North Georgia Presbytery to go back to Redemption Fellowship here in Atlanta under Perimeter Ministries. Hmm. to train there for two years to plant a church. Hmm. So that is my journey spiritually. Hmm. Um, It was at Covenant Seminary that Kelly and I met through her cousin, who was a student at Covenant Seminary, even though Kelly wasn't living in St. Louis at the time. She was in Georgia. So we had a long distance thing going for a while, even though I was going to seminary in her hometown. Howard was leaving on that midnight train to Georgia. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I was. So right, that that right. summer internship in Atlanta was great because she was down in Valdosta. So we would meet mm-hmm. halfway in Macon and mm-hmm. um, drive back up and she would stay at an elder's house. And yep. we would, would, as they say, court that way. The young court. people know nothing about that. Court. Court and having court. a defining the relationship discussion. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when there's, mm-hmm. you know, married people, you're staying at their home and they're kind of monitoring things. Monitoring things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it Monitoring never really works. I mean, everybody oh, knows it that. It, mm-hmm. it, works. it works. It helps. It helps. It helps. Oh, Go goodness. On. Y'all are the best. I just love y'all. This is so great. <laughs> All right. So Kelly, so Kelly, you wanted more than that, but no, that's what I got. Well, let's stop at monitoring. I think that's a good place right there. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, so Kelly, tell us about you and 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 Howard. Just uh, I just want to kind of frame this for folks. You went yeah. from an all sort of African American r- religious background and tradition, yeah, in Charleston to uh, Clemson, which is heavily white. And yeah. RUF, which is heavily white, and yeah. Covenant Seminary, which is heavily white. Yes. Into the PCA, which is heavily white. Yeah. Right. And so, like, your context is I'm doing ministry here with white folks. Um, and there have been challenges and difficulties, and we'll get into some of that later. But I just wanted folks to understand that context yeah. before we move forward. And Kelly, tell us about That's your good. journey. So I am a native St. Louisan. I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, to a very religious, culturally religious family. Mm. 
but not a a practicing uh, religious family. And so my mom um, church hopped too. We went to many, many different kinds of denominations over the years, Um, largely Baptist, but you know, we did non-denominational. Uh, Mom even did a little Jehovah's Witness for a while until the Spirit of God revealed to her, this is not where I want you. Um, mm. But most of, of my life, I would say I, I, I'm largely Baptist. And then um, went to college at Valdosta State University in Valdosta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And went and would have told you that I was a, a Christian. Um, and then through a series of events, God ordered events, realized I was not really a believer and I had never been one. Huh. And a lot of that for me was connected to a lot of racial issues huh. and relationships with white people that surprised me huh. um, because I saw them. I didn't know that white people would ever be vulnerable about their issues. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's really through Howard mentioned her, the ministry of my cousin, Suzanne Bates, who was at Covenant Seminary. But before she went there, um, she was also in Valdosta. And so she started going to this PCA church because she couldn't find a black church in Valdosta that was culturally fitting for her. So uh-huh. just for your audience to understand that just because everybody looks the same doesn't always mean that culturally they're the same or feel comfortable. So she was in the South as a Midwesterner going to these deeply Southern churches and just really could not find a home. She had a hard time understanding the dialect and the traditions were totally different. So a friend of hers that she worked with, another believer, said, hey, listen, I, I know that you are looking for a black church and I want to help you do that. And I see you're having a hard time. If you want to come and visit at my church with me until you find a place to land, I'd love to have you. And the wisdom of this woman, this friend of hers, she said to her, I know that you will be the only black person there. I want you to know that before you come. And if you're not comfortable with that, I completely understand. Mm. And she said, but I I know that, you know, the gospel's being preached and that's important to you. So, you know, come with me. I will sit with you and make sure you're comfortable as best I can and help you continue to find some place that fits you culturally. And so she went and ended up really finding community and connection and even leadership there that wasn't tokenized. Mm. And so I watched her with these women have these relationships that I didn't, I'd never seen white women need Jesus. Mm-hmm. I had seen white women look all tidied up because of Jesus, mm-hmm. but these were women who were broken and busted. Mm-hmm. And these were women of influence and affluence. And I didn't know that white folks had the sort of problems that these ladies had and would talk about it. And my that cousin, they invited her to speak into their lives. Oh. Um, and she's a single mom raising four kids, husband's incarcerated. It really easily could have been the other way around. They could have seen her as a project, but they didn't. And they um, let her speak into their lives. And I witnessed all of that. And it really was a gospel 
illumination for me and made me say, if this is what following Jesus is, I don't think I've ever done that before. And if it's like this, then I I can do this. I will follow this Jesus if Mm -hmm. this is what he does to Mm -hmm. folks. And so um, made a confession of faith, joined that church in uh, Westminster Prayers in Valdosta, Georgia. And um, that was my introduction into the PCA 29 years ago. 29 years. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you mentioned a phrase right there. I'd like to just stop for a minute and help our audience understand. You said um, that she had an opportunity for leadership that wasn't tokenized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you give our audience a sense of like what an authentic, real leadership position may look like for a person of color in a largely white church? Absolutely. Let's talk about what tends to happen in largely white churches. When black people come, there's this sense of immediately, oh, we're we're a multi-ethnic church now because we've got one person who's not white or three or four. And so a lot of times those folks end up getting put on all kinds of teams or places of leadership that they're not equipped to do or or don't want to do. Um, but it makes the church look better. It makes the leadership look like they're doing something. Mm-hmm. And that's the tokenism, right? They want to actually use information about race and ethnicity given from African-Americans to simply reshape it and reform it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is as American as you want. We want oh, the yeah. resources, but we want control over how the widget looks Want with right. the resources. Right. But that doesn't work with people. Mm-hmm. You know, we're made in the image and likeness of God. And so you can't just take us as a resource. Mm-hmm. You have to actually take us as people. And if we're part of the body, you can't just take the meat. You've got to take the shape. You've got to take the bone. You've got to take the marrow. You've got to, we've got to incorporate. The sauce in which it was cooked in. That's right. So now we're getting to sort of the, how the church is tied up in with with civics and and Christian nationalism and like and how this works sometimes it can undo some of that because mm-hmm. of how tied up race is in America with power and with systems in America it can feel like when we're doing this work we're actually undoing we're living differently than most of the people in our nation would live mm-hmm. and we're saying our priority is God's word and the church and our priority as citizens becomes is subservient to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when it comes to these issues, it's almost like as if you're saying there's a, a syncretism or a entanglement oh, between yeah. our priority to the church and our duty as Christian citizens with our duty as American citizens, mm-hmm. as we see it under the constitution. Exactly. So you have these two things that are kind of entangled in a mm-hmm. way that can be unhealthy. That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, power, money, mm-hmm. authority is tied in in this country uh, to your perceived integrity. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like, like even like our own loan, like our own um, credit system, mm-hmm. like what's your credit rating mm-hmm. um, determines the degree of power and authority you have to speak into things and to move into things. And what has recently happened with so much, so many things being captured on film, um, you know, the way social media works, 
th- there is an overwhelming message out there mm. that is hitting many people in the area of their validity. Mm. And so their ability to have power and authority freely and unquestionable without question is limited now. Mm. Or expanded for others. Yeah. And so people don't want to just buy the product anymore. Mm. You know, it's hard. And I'm not speaking as somebody outside looking in. Kelly and I did a multi-ethic church for 20 years. And so we're looking as people who pastor and care for and represent white families as well as black families. Mm. And so we understand on the other side, we understand the pain of going through a loss of an idol Mm. or or loss of power. Mm. It is extremely painful. And let me tell you this, it's disorienting Mm. for many of our white members who thought this was Christianity or this was okay, or Mm -hmm. God's not really asking for that. Mm -hmm. He would never ask me to go into the voting booth and vote on the behalf of somebody else Mm. for the good of another community. Because whether you vote for your community Mm. or another community, politically, you're having to sacrifice some things that aren't completely biblical. Mm. There's no candidate or party that you're not sacrificing some holy something for. Wait, Howard, I thought I thought that there was one party. Yeah, yeah, I did too for for a while. And I went thinking there was only one. So you're saying Christians have freedom of conscience to think about different what things they want to support and different and that Jesus cannot be put into a political party platform. And so maybe it's bigger. Maybe we need to think right. bigger as Christians yeah. than just po- political. And I, and I want our audience to understand, like, America is a political animal. We are created is. as a political animal. Mm-hmm. Alexis de Tocqueville talks about us as the most political people on the planet. It's a part of our identity as mm-hmm. Americans. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, that creates a unique kind of form of Christendom here mm-hmm. um, in which, mm-hmm. and so it's not something to say, get rid of your politicalness. I mean, that's how God made us in right. some way, but it's also kind of a, a warning. Can it be, can it become an idol? Y'all have chosen, well, the Lord has given you this ministry in the U S South, right? In Charleston, in Georgia, in Charlotte, in Atlanta, where race is this tremendous issue. Mm-hmm. And you are pastoring through both of you some really incredible moments in the last 20 years with regard to we've seen riots in Charlotte. We've seen Ferguson. We've seen a a variety of things that have happened um, that y'all are pastoring in the midst of. And my question is like, (laughs) why? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like what, what as an African-American couple pastoring to majority white communities in the U S South and the, the, the difficulty that must be to minister with all of that on top of just doing ministry. If you were just doing ministry without all that would be hard enough, but then to take, to, to be dealing with all these things, what, what is it in y'all's vision and mission that has called you to that? Hmm. It's a great question. I don't always know the answer to. 
Um, it is a question that the answer is different uh, on different days. Um, you know, I, I, I've often asked the Lord why he put us together as a couple who were both inclined to do this. Um, I think he's still working out why. Um, it is definitely hard. It is a ministry is hard. Ministry is incredibly hard. Full-time ministry is just, it is a difficult place for married people, for people with families. Um, it's just a hard place to be. And then you add on top of that, you know, this era of race and racial issues and elections and politics and, and it becomes even more difficult. Um, I do believe that, you know, even from like I explained my conversion experience is tied to how people are image bearers because of and or in spite of their race. Mm. Um, you know, I, I always grew up thinking white folks couldn't be saved. I mean, if you if you talk to people in my community when I was growing up, uh, white people couldn't actually become Christians because they never knew what it was like to suffer and to have trials. And that, you know, like the Israelites, black people were oppressed and had struggles. And so uh, out of that oppression and struggle, you came to know the ministry of the gospel um, correctly. And white folks didn't have that, so they couldn't be Christians. Mm -hmm. So hearing these white women talk about the struggle, not as a collective, mind you, mm. not as a, an oppressed people, but hearing them talk about their mental health struggles and their uh, emotional struggles and failures, you know, gave light to the idea that they are, white folks do have struggles and they do suffer, um, particularly when you talk about white women. Mm. So I think the Lord has put me on a path to do this and to be in a denomination that is so, mm. um, so white and so culturally affluent and mm. intentionally um, avoidant of issues for all mankind uh, and civil mm. rights. You know, I, I think we're here to be disruptors. Mm. I think we're here to be truth sayers. I think we're mm. here to, to be prophetic yeah. um, and to be used um, to help bring the, the folks that we're ministering to in a larger denomination uh, more rightly under what God has called the gospel mm. to actually be. I wish we could get to a place where folks that are doing what you're doing are perceived as they really love us. Yeah. They really love us. Not yeah. they're really trying to hurt us and we need to get them out of here. Right. 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 Um, anyway. That's good. That's really good. Otis. That's good to hear. Thank you. That's how I, that's how I, that's what helps me get to bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That'll help me sleep too. So thank you. Exactly. Um, but um, so uh, a couple more questions here and we'll sort of wrap it up. I know you guys have a lot going on, but um, you know, the interesting role of church planting in this on top of ministry, um, tell us a little bit about your church plant in Atlanta and sort of, 
you know, what, how is this going to be distinct from Charlotte and how is this going to be, you know, what, what tell, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So as I mentioned, we started here in Atlanta in what could be described as a movement, a missional movement to reach African-Americans. So we came to Redemption Fellowship with this idea that we could reach not only African-Americans, but African-Americans who could be influencers, who could be even a resource center culturally, economically, socially, to begin to reach more African-Americans and bring diversity uh-huh. and growth to the PCA. Okay. And that was through interning and planting churches. Hmm. We planted Christ Central Church in, a, in a Charlotte, North Carolina, and that is a multi-ethnic church. And we did that work for 20 years. Hmm. And what we discovered when we heard and a about- A multi-ethnic definition would be- Enough black people in it where, <laughs> no, it, I've heard it, like 30%, 65, 35%, okay. 65% white. Okay. Because we started with all white people. Yeah. Just so you know. Yeah. The church at Planet Redemption Fellowship that we were part of years ago wanted to see an African American church planted. They contacted AAN to say, hey, we don't know what we've done doing. We've messed this up in the past. We want to do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they called us to plant Kindred Hope. And Kindred Hope is purposely, mm-hmm. right, in a, in a community that is 88% African-American. Um, we are in a community that is highly educated and influential oh. um, and um, movers and shakers in the city of Atlanta oh. that live down here. And we feel like it is our call to see these people be discipled in ways in which they can influence and change their world, not only locally and nationally, but global difference for the gospel. Um, We feel like the work of racial reconciliation or racial equity or justice, uh, whatever term you want to use in our denomination, actually begins with doing more surgical and focused missional work among people groups. Mm. So we took a step back, if you will, or a step to the side from multi-ethnic work and decided to go into a community at a high percentage of African-Americans in a city like Atlanta that influences the whole South. Folks will say, well, I have my community. I have my gaming community. I have my community that I do this with. Right. But the church is a community that has all the generations. Yeah. It has, you're caring for little bitties. That's right. And you're, you're being cared for, people, for. Cared for. And you're caring for folks in their last stages. Yeah. And yeah. there's no other institution. That does other than, that. Other than a family. Right. Right. And, and that, and that also, I want to remind our listeners that Jesus said, this is my bride. Mm-hmm. Right. This is my bride. Mm-hmm. These people are my bride. That's right. And our duty as Christians is to, even though the church has become a caricature mm-hmm. and is stained, yeah, to start taking one of those dry, dry erase, magic erasers, and start to try to remove the stains of our beautiful bride. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. good. You know. No, and I, I think this is important because 
as a historian, I encounter a lot of African-American students, white students who think Christianity is about colonialism, it's right. about European colonialism. Right. Yeah. And it's about, and, and what I'm reminding our students is that, and Moses married a Cushite woman, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. God was doing work in Africa That's that he right. wasn't, that he wasn't yet doing in Europe. That's exactly right. Right. <laughs> and, and that, and that very much the geographical positioning of God's people in Egypt and into Israel and into Africa has a diasporic movement that moves across the globe. Mm-hmm. Well, let's close with this. What would be the hope, the final hope of your ministry? If you were to see 20, 30 years down the road, mm-hmm. the legacy, the outcome of your ministry. What I saw from my cousin in Valdosta State with the group of white women at the PCA church really is the model. And so as as you face your fears about, you know, um, entering into spaces where you are not, uh, not in control, not in, minor, in majority, there's really something to be said about friendship. Uh-huh. And having, you know, I, I have been the most blessed by people who just wanted to get to know me without me being necessarily a black woman or pastor's wife or minister or, you know, all of the other hats and titles I wear, but just wanted to get to know me as a child of God, as a fellow sister in Christ. We can dream big here because God is big. And so we would love to see more leadership. We would love to see a loving, responsive denomination influenced by the talents, struggles, and leadership of all people in a way that isn't typical or or tokenized. Yep. So that that would be my dream. Yeah, I think just attaching to the dream piece there, you know, our vision is that we would be a refuge mm-hmm. of God's grace and peace. Mm. And so Hmm. I hope that Kindred Hope would be a part of a movement, not just primarily, of course, for African-Americans, but for our denomination to become a refuge of God's grace and peace for people, regardless of what race or political ideology Mm -hmm. they have, that we would become cities of refuge all over the country and be a part of having sparked that kind of thinking. You know, it's one thing you go around, you raise support, but for us, it's more than just raising support. It's about shaping the denomination by telling this story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And God has blessed us with relationships that are Mm cross-racial, that are cross-cultural. So we, we want to take the opportunity to talk to as many people as we can. Yeah. I just want to tell you both. Love you so much. Y'all are just amazing. When I, when I'm with you, I feel like I'm in a refuge Oh, when I'm with you and I just love you both so much. Thank you for being on this podcast and we just, y'all are just the best. So come see me again (laughs) in Clemson sometime soon. Yeah, we're going to come hang out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Purpose That Prevails. If you've made it this far, I hope this means this conversation was thought provoking and lights your path on this walk of faith. We're all on together. 
A reminder, please spread the word about the show to your church community, your family, your friends. Every bit helps. If you would be so kind to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. It's been a pleasure for me to host the show and spend this time with you. My name is Otis Pickett. Until next time, God bless. Next Chapter Podcasts.